0: Good morning, church, and welcome once again to our service of worship today. I just want to begin today by wishing a very happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers tuning in. We thank God for you and pray his blessing over all of you. At the beginning of our service today, we sang that great song, Even So Come. We sang these lyrics, Like a bride waiting for her groom, Will be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for her King will sing, Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. My friends, more than ever before, as His church, we need to be ready because Jesus is coming soon. And in Revelation 19, that is so very apparent. Following the difficult chapters describing God's judgment and and wrath poured out on this dark world system that is Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, Revelation 19 is a brilliant beam of light, unrestrained, overflowing praise and worship, which is a good indication that, that we are now in the last leg of the race that is Revelation here. Chapter 19 opens with John hearing a sound unlike any other. In verse 1, John writes, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. The roar of a great multitude. We've seen this multitude before. Back in Revelation 7, verses 9 to 14. The multitude are God's redeemed people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, holding palm branches and crying out, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, here... This great multitude, along with the 24 elders and the four living creatures, all joined together in celebrating the fall of Babylon. That wicked world system of lust, luxury, pleasure, and treasure, which has for so long enticed and abused and tortured and even killed God's people. Well, here... They are free at last, free from the sinful world, along with all of its temptations, forevermore, which is why they roar with overwhelming praise, shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What an incredible word that is. So incredible, in fact, that John uses it four times in these 10 verses. Three of those times. It is the shout of the great multitude who cry, Hallelujah, in verse 1. And then, Hallelujah, in verse 3. And, Hallelujah, in verse 6. And the fourth time, it is the cry of the 24 elders and four living creatures who cry out, Amen, Hallelujah, in verse 4. Hallelujah is a literal rendering of the Hebrew behind the Greek. It's a plural imperative, a command given to a group of people. Hallelujah means you or all of you praise. And Yah means God, or more precisely, Yahweh. Uh, Yah is the short form of the sacred name of God. So, hallelujah is an emphatic exhortation to praise the Lord. Why am I explaining this term in such detail? Because of how... Important it is, how precious it is, is. in fact, how uncommon it is, how special it is. Growing up in Sunday school here, I became very familiar with the word hallelujah at a very early age because we sang it all the time in all kinds of great songs, including this classic Sunday school song that I'm going to sing for you right now. And if you know it, please join in with me. So I'm going to point to myself, and when I sing hallelujah, Then I point to you and you're going to sing Praise Ye the Lord. Okay, so it goes like this. Hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. Praise Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Okay, well done. There's another song we sang. Called Hallelujah, except it went like this. Ha la 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 Lelu. I'm not gonna sing that whole thing. It, yeah, anyway, the point is we sang that song and and those songs, songs uttering that declaration, hallelujah, a lot. But here's the interesting thing: the Bible doesn't use that word a lot. In fact, our passage today, Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10, is the only place in the entire New Testament, where this incredible word is found. So obviously, it's, it's very special. Now, in the Old Testament, it is certainly much more common and most common in the Psalms. In fact, Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150 all begin and end with that command to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the place in the Psalms where the verb is used the most is Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, which are known as the Hallel Psalms or the You Praise Psalms, which were specifically sung at Passover, both before and after the Passover meal. Why? Because these Hallel Psalms specifically celebrate God's deliverance of Israel from Egyptian captivity which in turn was an anthem of hope inspired by the prophetic words of the prophets in anticipation that one day God would ultimately deliver his people again, once and for all. Only this time from Babylon. Okay, so hopefully this helps us understand why this is the only place in the New Testament where the declaration hallelujah appears. When does it appear? Right after the fall of Babylon when God's people have finally been delivered from the great prostitute, that wicked world system that for so long has opposed and oppressed God's people, who here now roar with praise, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. All of God's judgments are just and true, of course. But here they are specifically celebrating one particular true and just judgment, which they declare in verse 2. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Okay, this declaration of praise right here is the fulfillment of Revelation 18 verses 19 to 20 that we looked at last week. When God condemns and casts down Babylon the prostitute, her, her friends, her, her lovers, her customers, her, her followers, employees, the world over will weep, wail, and mourn at her burning as we see in verse 19 but God's people in heaven will celebrate his long awaited promise of just judgment finally fulfilled revelation 18:20 says rejoice rejoice over her o heaven rejoice saints and apostles and prophets why because God has judged her for the way she treated you and so here in revelation 19:3 we read again they shouted hallelujah The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And then in verse four, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, amen, hallelujah. Okay, so the 24 elders and four living creatures echo the hallelujah of God's people. They fall down and worship before the throne and they cry out, amen. So let it be, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then in verse 5, John hears another voice. Here's what it says. Then I heard a voice, or then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Okay, now, we don't know for certain whose voice this is. The fact is, though, it comes from the throne. Which is why some commentators suggest this could be the voice of our Savior Jesus himself, who commands all of God's servants, both small and great, to praise our God. Which is what happens in ear-splitting fashion next. Look at verse 6 with me. John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. We sang a version of this chorus a few minutes ago, and I I love that version. Um, But as much as I love that rendition, there's another more famous chorus using the King James version of this verse. And it goes like this. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, I'm not going to go any further. I've done enough damage to your ears. Here's how the story goes on that song. After locking himself away for over three straight weeks to work on this composition, composer George Frederick Handel emerged from his study with what is considered by many to be the greatest piece of music ever written on planet Earth a piece he called The Messiah, featuring the Hallelujah Chorus based on this very verse, Revelation 19.6. And as amazing as that piece of music is, it still cannot compare to what John hears here. In fact, the most powerful anthem of corporate praise and worship sung by the largest choir and accompanied by the most talented orchestra would be but a faint echo of what these verses describe. Now, I've always been amazed by the power of Niagara Falls. But the first time we took our boys there, it was such a foggy day that when we got right down next to the guardrail beside the falls, we couldn't see anything. We could only hear the falls. But even the sound was enough to make both of the boys go, Whoa, that's loud. What's going on down there? Okay, so take the sound of the loudest waterfalls you can imagine and add to that the booming peals of a massive thunderstorm, like like the loudest bass riff you've ever heard. And my friends, that that is the force. That is the kind of sound, the the overwhelming decibel at which the great multitude will shout, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Wow. Wow. Okay, I just want to take a minute to say this. Um, while there's something very precious and special about quiet times alone with God, as we know, there's something so absolutely amazing about God's people in large number coming together to worship him with overflowing joy. And I can't wait to do that again here and ultimately There. This is what the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. He said this about our praise. We ought never to worship God in a half-hearted sort of way, as if it were our duty to bless God. But we felt it a weary business, and we'd get through it as quickly as we could and have done with it, the sooner the better. No, no. All that is within me, bless his holy name. All Christian duties should be done, done joyfully, but especially the work of praising the Lord. I've been in congregations where the tune was dolorous to the very last degree, where the time was so dreadfully slow that one wondered whether eternity would not be too short for them to get through it. The spirit of the people seemed to be so damp, so heavy, so dead, that we might have supposed that they had met for a hanging rather than for blessing the ever gracious God. But... He continues, on that day, when the springtide of the infinite ocean of joy shall have come, what a measureless flood of delight shall overflow the souls of all glorified spirits. We do not know yet, beloved, of what happiness we are capable. Wow. The unbridled joy and incomprehensible happiness that Spurgeon describes there is found in verse 7, as the multitude declares another amazing reason for their rejoicing. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The reason the great multitude rejoices and are so filled with praise here is because now the time has come for the Lamb of God to be joined to his people in in a union so close, so intimate, that it can only be compared to the marriage of a man and a woman. Which, of course, is a picture used all throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, Israel is, is presented as God's wife, unfaithful as she is. And in the New Testament... The church is presented as the fiancée, the bride of Jesus, who is in the process of being cleansed, purified, sanctified, so as to be ready and found eagerly waiting for this very day, the day of her marriage to Christ. That's how the Apostle Paul explains it. In Ephesians 5, he writes, Husbands, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In 2 Corinthians 11 2, he writes, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Okay, now at this point, it might just be helpful to understand a little bit of the marriage customs of first century Judaism, which involved two major events. The betrothal ceremony, in which the groom would make arrangements with the bride's father, which included agreeing on a purchase price for her, as was custom, which the groom then paid. And then there was the wedding feast, the wedding ceremony. But these two ceremonies were normally separated by a period of separation, during which the bride and groom to be were considered legally and spiritually bound together as husband and wife even though they were physically apart even though they hadn't consummated the marriage and it was during this time of separation that the groom would prepare a room for the bride in his father's house well the wedding ceremony itself began with a procession of the bridegroom along with his best man and friends to the bride's house now Though everyone had a general idea of when he might show up, they didn't know the exact day or hour. Usually, to keep things kind of suspenseful, he would arrive somewhere around midnight. And when he did arrive, the party would shout, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then, with great joy, the bride who had been waiting, veiled and ready and and accompanied by her maidens, would come out and join the groom And together they would then return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast, which would last anywhere from seven to 14 days. There was no other party like it. My friends, as the church, through faith we are engaged to Christ. We are his bride now eagerly awaiting the arrival of our savior Jesus, the bridegroom. And he is coming. Even though we don't know the exact hour, our bridegroom will return for his bride from heaven for the marriage feast, which will last not for seven days or or seven years or 77 years or 777 years, but for all eternity. And so the bride, we, the church, have to be ready. Just like we sang earlier, like a bride waiting for her groom will be a church ready for you. Again and again, Jesus warns his followers to be ready for his return. Which is exactly what we read in verses 7 and 8. Only, there's an interesting tension here. Look at verse 7. There we read, the bride has made herself ready. But then in verse 8 we read, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And then John explains, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, so, so which is it? Does the bride make herself ready or has she been made ready through these pure clothes that have been given to her? And the answer is yes to both. In Philippians 2 verses 12 to 13, Paul writes, Therefore continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So it's both. It's us working out our salvation as God works in. When we repent of our sins and and trust in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us. And that is the bright, clean clothing of righteousness that the bride is given to wear here, Jesus' righteousness. And then our new life in Christ leads to good deeds through Christ in us. It is only because of the power of his Holy Spirit at work in and, and through us that we are able to do the good deeds, the righteous acts that he's called us to. So then to be clear, God makes us ready by enabling us by his spirit to be ready as his power works within us. Verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Previously, Hallelujah was sung at the Passover meal, celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt. Well, here it is shouted in anticipation of another meal, the greatest meal of all, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And my friends, we've not only been invited to the party or as part of the bridal party, but as the bride of Christ himself, a guest of honor, One day, God the Father is going to throw the party of all parties, the feast of all feasts for his son, who is going to marry his bride, the church. That's us. Wow. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the angel adds this guarantee to that invitation, saying, These are the true words of God. Basically, he's saying, this is a promise. Signed, sealed, stamped, guaranteed. Though it might sound too good to be true, the glorious wedding supper of the Lamb will happen, and all those who've been invited and RSVP'd will celebrate our union with Christ in a feast that will never, ever end. Which might be why in verse 10, John then fell at the angel's feet to worship him. But, The angel said to him, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, you might wonder how John could make a mistake like this as he falls down and starts worshiping the angel. But I'm pretty sure John would have just been so absolutely awestruck by the revelation that he's overwhelmed, beside himself with excitement. But the angel sets him straight here. He tells him what to do. The only fitting response to this glorious revelation, this gracious invitation is to worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is telling us that all prophecy has at its center the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As one commentator put it, this means that prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty and majesty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does all of this mean for us as Jesus followers today, right now? Well, I think it means recognizing, embracing, and cherishing the fact that we are are the bride of Christ Christ who so loved us and gave himself for us my friends we are no longer our own we have been bought at the highest price ever paid Jesus own blood and so we belong to him 1 John 4:10 says this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins yes Yes, he loves us as his children and as his friends and as his brothers and sisters and as his body. But these verses remind us that, moreover, Jesus loves us as his precious bride. And as his bride, our greatest responsibility is being and staying faithful to him, loyal Obedient, fully devoted to Christ and Christ alone, loving him most and best and exclusively. We were reminded last week of just how alluring and seductive the prostitute Babylon is, this wicked world system, constantly trying to entice us to stray, to to look around and turn away from Christ, to leave the God we love and who so loved us. My friends, as the bride of Christ, when, when we sin, We are committing adultery against Jesus. And so as we were reminded last week at the very first sign, the first inkling of sin, we must be vigilant to cast it out, to repent and confess our sins to God who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, our bride price has been paid in full. And Jesus has now gone to prepare a room in his father's house for us. And as he is preparing that place there, we must be be preparing this place here, ourselves, our lives, making sure that we are ready, dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, doing the righteous acts of the saints, trusting, obeying loving, serving, praying, teaching, sharing the gospel of our Savior Jesus as he has called us to until he returns. And my friends, make no mistake, Jesus is coming soon. So the question for all of us is this, are you ready? Are we ready? Like a bride waiting for her groom, May we be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for her king. We sing, even so come. Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Hallelujah.
1: worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb ah oh. for the Lord God Almighty. is the lamb worthy is the lamb you are holy holy are you lord god almighty worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb
0: And now, receive the Lord's blessing. I have to go with Jude 24 and 25 today. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us in our worship service today. Happy Mother's Day,
1: and God bless you.